looking to live stronger, longer, and better? Then welcome to Health by Design, hosted by leading healthy living expert and wellness architect, Roar Alexander. After years of traveling and studying around the world, Roar combines his decades of Western health and fitness knowledge with the many time-driven traditions and secrets of the ancient East to bring you only the best in cutting-edge information and special guest interviews that will have you feeling great, losing weight, and finally grabbing a hold of everything you want out of life. So if you're ready to take control of your body, health, and mind, then it's time for Health by Design. everybody how you doing today i am roar alexander the host of health by design your healthy living expert and wellness architect i'd like to thank you for joining me today i have an exciting episode for you coming up in fact this is an episode that i've been trying to get recorded now actually um i reached out to my guest matt morley uh probably six to eight months ago honestly um there's a few people that I've been reached out to and then just you know, things happen and I never got around to getting back to him. But, you know, about every couple months I messaged him saying, you know, you're still in there. I still really want to get you on. Uh, and finally, you know, with this whole pandemic thing, everybody's stuck at home right now. It's the perfect time. So contacted Matt earlier this week and I said, hey, I'd love to get you on now because I think uh, more than ever, now is an important time to try to get your message out. So Matt Morley, he owns, uh, he's the founder of a company called BioFit. Um, and as you hear in the podcast, there's a lot about it, but the reason I first saw him, I'll just tell you, I'll just give you guys the, 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 how I found out about him. And then when you listen to the podcast, you'll hear more about it. So as you know, this podcast is about helping you live stronger, longer, and better. That's my whole thing. My whole theme is, you know, designing a life. That means your, you know, your fitness, your nutrition, your environment, you know, your relationships It's about designing everything to help you with those eight areas or what I call my bagua of health. Um, and, you know, natural elements, living in, living with nature, the circadian rhythms, the, you know, talking about Ayurvedic science, ancient Chinese medicine, feng shui, all that sort of stuff, all is a part of that. And I was searching for biophilic design. And if you don't know what biophilic design is, make sure you go back uh, and listen to I have another episode uh, that I can't remember exactly which episode it is right now as I'm talking. I'll go through my phone here and I'll find it. Um... But, you know, I was going through biophilic design and I think I was just typing like biophilic design in gyms because I was thinking, man, it would be really cool uh, if I was to add some biophilic design into this uh, training studio that I wanted at one point to kind of open. Um, or just, you know, if I was going to work with a, a gym, the kind of things that I would want to put in there. And I came upon some photographs of these really cool looking gyms. That basically look like the outdoors indoors. Uh, and I found out that Matt was actually doing a um, biophilic design. So here it is. So it's episode 41, Bring the Outdoors Indoors with Biophilic Design. Um, so I talked to Muriel Co. of a design company here called By Nature Design. So go back and listen to that. We really get into kind of the background of the history of biophilic design. We talked about it a bit with Matt too, but we talked with him more about the application of it into gyms and into businesses. Uh, where with her, it was more talking about like we discovered more what biophilia is. But I found these pictures of gyms, like I said, that look like outside or inside. I was like, well, these are really great. And, I, you know, I, I was going through Google Images and looking. And then eventually I kept clicking and found, came upon his website, which is biofit.io. Uh, looked up him. Then I found him on LinkedIn. 
And yeah, so kind of a long story short, I was like, wow, this guy is doing exactly what uh, he was pioneering. And he, well, he is, I would say not even just pioneering. I think he is the pioneer. I don't think, because there's nobody else doing this as far as I know, uh, at least specifically um, in the gym space. Now, he does more than just the gym space, but as far as gyms go, he's the only one I know doing anything like this or even had any thoughts of it. Um, and he even, you know, even before I did. So, really cool stuff. So, biophilic design, if you don't know, that's basically bringing the natural elements inside. So, we're talking about plants, we're talking about the materials, the sense, the design. Um, it's not ju- its not literally just about saying, okay, I'm going to fill my house with plants. There's a lot more to it than that. Plants are a part of it, but, uh, you know, we talk about um, geometric design uh, in biophilia. Uh, we talk about the use of scent, the use of light, following your circadian rhythms. And if you watch, you know, obviously if you follow me on Facebook and YouTube, you know even I have a circadian um, basically rhythmed home. Really big on that. So reached out to Matt, said I'd love to have you on, and we have a great podcast coming up. So one of the things that we are hoping comes out of this, and yet I, uh, be honest, I'm, I'm a little more pessimistic when it comes to the mass public and health, but the reason I really thought it'd be great to have him on now is because, let's be honest, with this pandemic, a lot of people are thinking about their health. Um, however, a lot of gyms are also going out of business whether we like it or not. Uh, in fact, the biggest gym chain here in Vancouver, British Columbia, uh, they've, I uh, believe they've declared bankruptcy. I don't know how all the rules work. They've applied for bankruptcy protection. They owe $35 million. They're in the middle of lawsuits or whatever. So uh, I'm kind of, kind of say, I'm kind of glad that company is out of business because it was a terrible, terrible company to work for, uh, in my opinion. Um, and in the opinion of almost anybody who's a trainer in British Columbia that I've ever talked to who's worked there, it's all, all agreed with me. Most of the time, big corporate gin chains suck to work for. I'm not going to lie. They're probably some of the unhealthiest, most terrible places to work for for your health. Um, but we're getting off tangent here. But one of the, one of the things, you know, is there's going to be a lot of gyms that are going to close. And, you know, we talk about how gyms, for some reason, have not realized that their connection to health And we talked about at the end why the fitness industry seems to think itself independent from the health industry and how it really is, and in my opinion, it really is just an aspect of health. And his gyms really are an answer to this. So by bringing his kind of gym or bringing elements, at least, of biophilic design into the gyms is a lot way, uh, sorry, is a much better way to create healthier gyms. And then he has a movement practice too that he includes with it, which is sort of a natural functional fitness uh, mobility uh, sort of training that he includes with it. So he talks about, I think it was his three pillars. He has um, three um, kind of um, branches of biofit. So that's going to be really interesting. So I hope you guys are doing well. I hope you're staying safe. Everything's uh, going well for you. Depending where you are in the world listening to this, you may be in full lockdown where you're literally only allowed out to get groceries. You may be in a place where you're not even allowed out. I don't know. Um, here in Vancouver, it's not terrible. You know, we are, we are um, you know, all this non-essential businesses pretty much been shut down, but you can still go to McDonald's drive throughs to pick up food. You can still go to any restaurant for the most part and pick up food and go to the local coffee shop and grab a coffee on your way out. So it's really not that bad. And I'll be honest, I'm a homebody, so it really hasn't bothered me much at all. In fact, you know, the only thing, you know, 
it's Vancouver, so this last week has been pure sun, which has been amazing. Been outside, outdoor workouts. Next week, the rain is coming back, which means no outdoor workouts. It's kind of, that's going to suck. So just got to make sure I keep my uh, neat, my non-exercise activity thermogenesis on track. Make sure I get in my, uh, you know, 10,000 plus steps there a day. Luckily, the fitness store I'm working at, which remember, I was working there just Sundays. Now they're uh, about four days a week. It is making a mad, mad killing. Listen, if you want to make, I don't know what to say. I guess it's a little late now, but with every gym, imagine you work in one of the few fitness stores in the entire province and every gym in the world is closed and the biggest one in the province is declared bankruptcy. So you're in for a pretty good time when it comes to commissions and uh, busy. Let's put every single day is a lineup from an hour before we open until we close. So cannot complain, to be honest with you. And besides that... I don't go out and eat at restaurants very often. I spend very little money. I don't buy crap. Um, live a, uh, a mindfulness, minimal lifestyle. So everything's great. So for me, I, I can't really complain. I'll be honest with you. I'm good to see, you know, I, I mean, I'm looking forward to the gym opening. So I can go back and do some like good squatting, some good lead dust and stuff like that. Um, but I bought some new bands today that I'm excited. I'm going to do some band workouts because I can do those in the house. I'm like my barbell and a couple dumbbells. Can't really do those in the house too much kettlebells and stuff like that so i did buy a kind of cool set of bands i'm actually going to be using for client programming too especially for travel workouts for any of my coaching clients so it's really a, kind of a neat set of bands which uh, watch instagram i'll do a post on it at some point uh, if you don't follow me on instagram just look up roar alexander also make sure of course if you are um you know doing home workouts to make sure you follow my youtube playlist um i uh, go to youtube look up roar alexander and my playlist which is let's beat this better home workouts because I'm gonna just I'm gonna tell you straight up, your home workouts suck. Your home workouts fucking suck, and you know why? Because most trainers can't program people with good home workouts. It just ends up being circuits and burpees. So, you know, my home workouts are okay, and I know my shit. So what I did is I put together a program. I put together kind of a series on there that's going to help you make your home workouts better. So each one is kind of a lesson on a different aspect to make your home workouts better. So it's not just a bunch of circuits and a bunch of jumping around exercises. So make sure you go check that out. Make sure you follow me on Roar Alexander, um, you know, on my Facebook, on my, um, Instagram. And lots of great tips on there for helping get your circadian rhythm back in check. I'm going to be doing some nutrition ones, some fitness ones, lots of fun. But getting sidetracked again, I want to make sure we stay on this because it's a long interview. You know, let's face it, it's lockdown. We have, you know, there's a really interesting conversation. So I think it's about an hour long that uh, Matt and I uh, talk for. So I don't want to spend a whole lot more on time on this. So I hope you guys enjoy this episode of Health by Design with Matt Morley from BioFit. All right, guys. So like I said in the intro, I am here with Matt Morley. Now, Matt is a consultant for mixed-use real estate developers that advises on well-being, sustainability, and design. He is the owner of Biophilico, a creative consultancy that combines well-being, sustainability, and interior design for the residential, commercial, and hospitality sectors. Now, in 2015, he launched Biofit Health and Fitness, which helps design sustainable gyms, including locations in the UK, Sweden, South Africa, Montenegro, and Canada, as well as conducting research into biophilic design and certifying fitness instructors in natural movements, which tie you in with the natural philosophy of the, I guess, the natural concept designs. And uh, your website, Matt, is biofit.io. Is that correct? 
That's the one. And uh, what did I, did I miss anything? I, I, I kind of got, went to LinkedIn. I got most of it off there and I did some research on you, but is there anything I missed that you'd like to throw in there in your bio? Uh, it sounds good. That's a, that was a carefully crafted intro from LinkedIn. So uh, you got it all. Perfect. Now you are over in Spain right now, correct? Yes, I'm in Barcelona. It's a beautiful uh, city that combines beach and mountains. One of the few in, uh, in Europe where we have great weather and access both both the hills for trail running on the weekends and and beaches as well now that is normally if i'm correct i don't think you're doing too much of that right now is that right that is not what's happening right now yeah i've been logged in for about four and a half weeks but you know i can't complain i, I have what i need i have a i have a little home gym set up or i have some equipment that i use and i have 120 steps oh. to use for my cardio training each day so I, i'm good Yes, definitely. I think people under people who live in apartment buildings underutilize their stairs. I was talking to my friend the other day. She lives in a condo. And I said, you know, all the people complaining they can't get exercise, they live on the 20th floors. I'm like, you guys know you have something 10 times better than a treadmill right there. <laughs> it's crazy how people don't think of using their stairs. And if you have a weight, so I'll do it some days if I want a bit more of a strength angle on it, I'll pick up a kettlebell, do the stairs with the kettlebell. Or if it's a stamina day, then I'll, I'll sort of go up two or three at a time and deliberately break a sweat that way. So yeah, it's great for training hills. Yeah, that's, run, well, that's um, what I'm doing. I'm doing hill sprints because yeah. I live in a hilly yeah. area of Vancouver, so I can just do hill sprints right in my alley behind my house. So hill sprints, stairs. Uh, if you guys are listening, uh, probably two of the best things you can do right now you want the anaerobic go sprints if you want the aerobic just uh just start tracking matt let's um let everybody know first how i kind of how i found you and i've been connecting i've been connecting i think i messaged you all probably almost six months ago um and then just you know things just get hectic and i just haven't been able to get around to it but i keep going god i gotta message this guy so obviously you know i have a podcast called health by design where the whole premise of the podcast is designing your life to be healthy, almost um, what I call not subconsciously, but by default, whether it's, you know, just having good, healthy foods in your house, having your kitchen set up for success, you know, having your home set up for success. And a big part of that, obviously, is things like I'm, I'm in the feng shui a bit, but natural sciences. So I started researching biophilic design and I've had another podcast where I actually talked to a biophilic designer where we talked about what is biophilic design. But then I came upon you because obviously I've been in the gym industry for a long time. And one of my things I've, you know, I've kind of always said is my ideal gym would be a power rack, a heavy bag and a forest. And uh, <laughs> I came across your gyms, which I actually, even when I first saw it, I sent it off to my friend who had a gym. And he actually has a gym in Thailand called the Jungle Gym. Um, and you know Thailand, they're kind of outdoor, indoor gyms. So he's doing his place all up and completely in plants. And he's got um, hammocks, you know. So And I sent him and he's like, wow, that's some great looking stuff, you know. So I just love the design of your gyms. Uh, so it just, it just really attracted me. I was like, you know, I have to contact this guy. He's the only guy that I've seen in the entire world that has connected this, you know, biophilic or nature design, uh, you know, circadian. I think, you know, I think even read it. I could be wrong because it was a while ago, but I think even read that, you know, your gyms even had some circadian rhythm planning in it, mm -hmm. maybe with the lighting. Um, again, which I'm a huge, I have a bio, I tell everybody I have a circadian rhythm home. Let's talk then about, if you don't mind, uh, what is biophilic design? Like, why does it matter to us? I know you've done studies on it. You obviously created an entire business around it. So let, I'm going to hand you over the mic and let's just go nuts, starting with what it is and why do we care? Okay, let's do it. Um, the, the concept itself, biophilia, a love of or, or a symbiotic connection to Mother Nature is basically what it's all about. Um, biophilic design 
is how that, that love of nature is then applied to our built environment. So it's a way to reunite indoor and outdoor worlds through, let's say, primarily urban architecture and interiors. Um, it's become quite popular in recent years, primarily, I think, through the office buildings coming out of Silicon Valley, uh, with a lot of the big tech startups cottoning on to its, um, we'll call it triple bottom line benefits, right? So they're able to do no harm or do some good for the planet whilst also creating spaces that are um, healthy and promote a wellness aspect for the users inside and therefore have a benefit also in terms of productivity. So they hit all three of those people, planet and profit of the, the triple bottom line. What I wasn't seeing was much um, connection between that trend that, that was out there in offices, but very much from the kind of, you know, leading edge of the tech world. And I thought, well, you know, gyms just, if, if they're not places devoted to health and fitness, then what are they? And yet the design of them probably isn't, uh, in, in objective terms, all that healthy. Um, I, I just didn't see much being done beyond putting equipment in to, to then make the environment itself into a functional benefit. So like just being in this space can have functional benefits on the user's health. So my whole mission was um, in a way to try and you know, remedy that and to have an impact on the gym, just to show that it can be different. It doesn't all have to be, it doesn't all have to look the same. You know, it doesn't all have to look like a CrossFit gym or like a, a traditional health club gym. You know, there are other ways that you can effectively decorate a space and add value to the to the proposition that you're offering, and hopefully create something that connects with people on a slightly different level by offering them a, a value system. You know. Yeah. Let's talk about just a, a few examples from some of the companies you mentioned, because you know you dropped the Silicon Valley, but I'll, I'll just mention a few, and you can tell us you know, if you know them or maybe a little more about them. For instance, I. Th- is it the Google or Amazon? Which one has the biophilic spheres in Seattle? The spheres, that's Amazon. Yeah, Amazon. Yeah. And you've seen those, I get Like, yeah, probably haven't been to them in person, but like, what's the idea behind those? Just do you know the idea behind yeah, those? Yeah, so, so all, of the, all of the Amazon um, offices have really adopted the, the concept of biophilic design. And, and I think it's important, and we may as well get it out of the way, but like there's, there's a lot of, I wouldn't say confusion around terminology i think what happens is there's a lot of overlap and you know some people talk about healthy design healthy interiors some people talk about nature inspired design some people uh, use the term biophilic some people think it's wellness design it really a lot of these overlap uh, so there are there it's it's hard sometimes to pick them apart um, but but for me it's about sustainable um, if you are integrating nature, then it's going to be sustainable. You don't want to do harm to mother nature because then you're sort of, you're just you know, shooting yourself in the foot. Mm-hmm. So you need to protect nature. You also want to, it, it's inherently healthy because it's more evolution friendly and yes, it's natural. And I think, I think the Amazon just quickly realized that this was the way to do it and that there was really no, um, downside. So they adopted it as a sort of seemingly worldwide policy and all their, um, office buildings. And I think the spheres for them was really a statement. It was a statement by Jeff Bezos himself, who just wanted to show his commitment to, for what I would call biophilic design or biophilia, but also just, uh, yeah, saying, look, you know, we care about the planet and it's a beautiful thing to connect with nature in an inner city environment in a, in a very sensory way. So you're, you're immersed in nature, even though you're in the middle of a, of a downtown location. Mm-hmm. Now, another example that uh, I'm, I'm imagining you might have seen, um, 
Singapore, they base so much of their entire city. They want to be a uh, garden. They want to be a, what was it? A garden mm-hmm. city. But now they want a city in the garden. Yeah. You know, have you seen the, the new terminal, the new airport terminal? It's yes. ridiculous. Like, listen, listeners, if you have not seen it, Google <laughs> the new Singapore airport. I mean, it's got a water vortex, which, you know, shoots off the negative ions. You could take like a train ride through the rainforest in it. It's crazy. So why why would they like just talk about the research you've done? Like, why would Singapore like a term? Why would an airport terminal? build a biophilic design like what you've done some research what research is there around this that that why are people putting money into this singapore is is a really interesting case study and i I think that you've hit you've hit it right on which is that they are easily leading the way you know there are some other big examples around the world there's like the mazda uh, eco city that they're trying to build in the in the uae but Singapore is is right out there. There's a couple of architectural firms just seem to be yeah industry leading, uh, all based out of Singapore who are doing amazing work. I think partly you know it's almost like a, a the climate itself. It, they have a predisposition towards it. It will be really interesting to find out you know at what point they realized it was a commercially viable route to go down. But their commitment to it is just yeah, world-leading. No one else has really um, gone that deep. So why would they go so big? I think they've seen that it can have you know a tangible impact on on the overall or general health of their population. Um, the, the typical things, the typical markers that, that I'm looking for, uh, certainly in the two research studies that that I've done with a university in the UK, you know, we're, we're looking at mood improvement in mood. You're looking at nature connectedness. Nature connectedness typically is a marker for vitality and a sense of purpose, a reason to get up in the morning and to get out of bed and feeling like you have something to go do and that that something that uh, is meaningful. There's productivity and anxiety or stress. So obviously, you're looking to reduce levels of perceived stress, reduce levels of anxiety, improve mood, and generally improve productivity or concentration levels at the same time. Why is that relevant? to an airport. I think airports are just such, um, or can be such sterile places that that are just so soulless and places where you often have to spend quite a bit of time. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I think there, what Singapore was trying to do is that because, as you say, it was becoming the garden city. So the airport is this this hub that becomes almost like a big billboard for how they see themselves. So again, just a very clever bit of uh, commitment at government level to say, okay, well, if, if the airport is the sort of, um, yeah, the, the entryway into our nation, then it should reflect what we're about. And clearly for them, it's about, about gardens because they, they went big on greenery. It's like a huge indoor forest, literally. Yeah, no, no, it's, it's an amazing, like you definitely have, like I've been to Singapore a few times, but I don't think, I think when I was there last, they were building it. So I haven't been actually able to see it yet, but it's definitely on my to-do list on one of my next trips to Asia. So now talking about wellness and you're saying, you know, wellness and anxiety and stuff, uh, you know, you've implemented gyms and you've moved into other businesses, but just talking about, it just seems like something that would fit into say old age homes and hospitals really well. So uh, have I, uh, there's a few things to say there. One, have I worked on hospitals? No. Is there a hospital in Singapore that has done this and, and sort of basically like, a biophilic hospital, yes, there is. And it's, again, one of the sort of world leaders. Um, do I know of examples? Strangely, I mean, for, for various um, personal reasons, I've had to recently go and look at a lot of care homes around the UK uh, for my mom. And 
oddly, uh, it's, it's pretty commonplace, in fact, for um, nature to be brought in. Now, that's, that's an example of where you know, the, the designers of those care homes were clearly not consciously creating something that we might term biophilic or what they would term biophilic. And yet there is something so um, timeless about connecting with nature. It's, it's, it's something that you experience from childhood to that second childhood at the tail end of, of life, uh, where it's something that it doesn't matter what stage your mental capacities are at, they can be severely depleted. And yet bright colors of nature and scenes of nature and being able to spend time with animals and, and um, surrounded by natural elements in the countryside, that, that is a massive impact on the overall well-being for the elderly in particular. So I think that's a very, very interesting space. And I think hospitals, I think it comes with challenges, let's say, because of the, um, they just need to keep it so uh, controlled as the environment. Whereas care homes are comparatively easy, I think, to integrate you know, botanical wallpapers, lots of plants, lots of natural light, um, fabrics that have uh, natural patterns and motifs on them. I think all of those are things that can easily connect with someone who's even losing some of their capacities at that stage in life, but they can still connect with it. It's interesting, and you know, what kind of like old is new again, because I know the biggest interest kind of in the scientific aspects of biophilia actually started from a hospital, if I believe, back in the 1980s. Um, where a doctor, he, I can't remember his name, but Ulrich. He noted, Ulrich, yeah, he noticed that yeah. his patients who had a window that could see nature recovered, what was it, 24, well, 48 to 72 hours faster than the same operation versus somebody else who just saw a wall. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, no, no, it's, um, it's, a, it's a real seminal study. It's, it's, it's a shame that nothing more recent is available, right? Yeah, uh, yeah it was about an 8 to 10% improvement in recovery speed. And recovery speed... People, they, they still recovered the patients, but they, they got out quicker, which was interesting from a hospital's perspective, because that meant the beds freed up quicker, that they could then um, create more efficiencies with it. But you mentioned the idea of time and not inventing anything, and that, that's it's key. I don't think anyone is saying here that we're inventing it. You know, biophilic design is, in a way, a very, it's an inherently modern response to a modern problem, which didn't exist, frankly, pre-industrial age. You know, we're only dealing with this. We're only having to sort of go back and rediscover all of this stuff. You could very, as a very easy reading of biophilic design, which you just say, well, it's more evolution friendly. It's an ancestral approach, primal even. All we're doing is just trying to align our built environment. We're saying, look, we have to live in cities. Unless you want to move out, move back to the countryside. Um, then we're going to have to be in the city for work or for family or schools or whatever it might be. So, okay, we're in. Now, does it have to be gray and high rise and high density? Well, some of it is, yep. High density is actually a better perspective, a better approach from a sustainability perspective, but let it be green. Let us bring some of Mother Nature back into these metropolitan environments that we've created for ourselves. But we're actually not, it's nothing new like putting a, a, um, a landscape photo or a huge blown up uh, mural of a forest scene, what we're trying to do is get us back into those scenes where we were originally thousands of years ago, right? It's, it's, 
it's it's actually quite elemental when you when you look at it like that and it's so so less of a trend i think and more of a just trying to rebalance things a little bit we've gone a bit too far in one direction and i think this is uh, us or a few of people involved in this industry just trying to say well you know maybe we, it needs a bit more reconnection with nature to balance things out yeah, no, it's very true. I mean, you, you can look back at like so many examples, you know, like um, ancient Buddhist temples always had, you know, Japanese Zen temples always had a garden in the middle. Egyptians were big on gardens. You know, King Solomon, the Bible talked about his big garden, the herbs he grew in there. Seems to be, you look at anything, any ancient temple, aspect, there always seems to be, a, you know, a center kind of garden area that the town was built around. But, you know, that idea that gardens are an important part has always been there. And like you said, it's only really in the last hundred years do we kind of forget that. I think there's elements of this in, in Feng Shui as well, right? Yes, there is. That's, yeah, there's very big elements of yeah. it. Uh, you know, yeah. they talk about the use of the five elements and balancing, you know, the modern with the, the, the old. So yeah, that's yeah, very interesting stuff. Let's then jump into a little more about like, how did you get, so you're a designer, um, but you know, is there schools where you just go to become a, uh, a biophilic designer or do you start off in the regular stuff doing an AutoCAD and you uh, somehow got into biophilia? So let's talk about your, like, how did you get interested in this and then combining it with inspiring you to get into gyms and then what you've done since the gyms? Because I know you've done quite a bit since then. So Cool. Yeah. So I came in really via the world of, of uh, hospitality and real estate. So I was working in the built environment. Uh, that was where it all began. That was sort of 10 years working for a real estate developer where I was respons responsible for creating new business concepts. So that could be a co-working space, a pool club, um, gyms later on in life, um, or a retail concept. So I got good at being able to take a space, let's call it what in terminology is a core and shell. So like an empty box, right? And say, okay, into this box, we're going to create this concept and it's going to be a sports bar. Here's a budget, here's a timeline, here's a project manager, Matt, get it done. That's, that's what I do. Okay. So I became the sort of hired gun in terms of creating or injecting unique concepts into a space. So I, I learned my trade that way. And that can be working alongside technical architects, civil engineers, and eventually fitting things, fitting the space out with furniture and, and launching it and then sort of curating that experience and, and um, yeah, setting the business free, basically. That's where I came from. And then in parallel with that, I had this long interest in, in fitness that I guess I started about 25 years ago. Trail running, I was big into surfing, swimming, bodyweight strength, eventually got into martial arts. And there was a moment, I think when I was about 27, when I moved to Cape Town in South Africa. And a few things happened at that point. I started training Muay Thai and yoga. And despite training five, six times a week, 10 hours a week or so, I guess, um, my whole adult life, I, I wasn't able to uh, touch my toes in yoga. And I started getting a bit fed up with the gym environment there. And I started training outdoors and trying to find a, a bridge the connection between uh, the type of activities that I wanted to do in that case, uh, Muay Thai and surfing and uh, hill running on the mountains. You know, I was like, well, what, what strength and stamina or strength and conditioning workouts do I need to be doing to prepare my body for that? Because clearly going from fast to slow twitch, from um, explosive movements to endurance movements, my body just wasn't, and mobility, my body wasn't able to do all of those things equally. So something was wrong, something was a bit broken. I started exploring that concept and that was that was about 10 years ago um so that that was sort of trickling along whilst i was developing these 
um, this knowledge of how to inject the concept, uh, uh, a business concept into a physical space in the real estate industry. And eventually these two things, I just, you know, I could see, I was like, well, there's surely something to be done here around fitness that has a slightly more sort of natural approach that equips you for the outside world. And that has, and then maybe that, what, what could, what could that environment be where I am training to do that? Cause I was looking at gyms and just finding them all pretty uninspiring. And so eventually it was me trying to scratch that itch around a more natural approach to fitness and taking what I know from the world of, of interiors and real estate and, and trying to, you know, shake it all around in a bottle and, and throw something out the tail end uh, that eventually became Biofit Gyms. And now give me an example for, let's just talk about then, like how does one include Biophilic Gym in their design? And then we'll move on to like some, maybe what you've done with other businesses. Like I wouldn't even know where to start. Let's say you walk into a, a typical CrossFit gym, which I'm sure you know what they look like. You know, white walls, black, some blackboard walls, you know, a bunch of uh, cast iron plate, you know, cast iron racks and, and plates. Like, what are the considerations? Like, how does one say, hey, you know what, maybe I'm not going to turn it into a full out, you know, biofit style of gym. But how can we start getting more biophilic design into our gym and just making it feel a little more natural, maybe a little more healthy? Cool. So there's, there's really two pieces. Well, there's, there's three parts to any gym as I see it, right? There's the training that's happening inside that gym. There's the equipment that's available, and that has an aesthetic element. It also has a functional element. You can only do certain types of movements with certain types of equipment. If you fill a gym with running machines and uh, bikes, or if you fill it with strength machines, or if you fill it with um, squat racks, that's a very different type of experience and different type of fitness. And then the third part is the so the space itself. Now, leaving aside the type of training that, that a CrossFit gym would offer, uh, the equipment is actually not that far off in that it's, it's highly functional. There's a bit too much metal and weight and weights floating around in a, in a CrossFit gym, mm -hmm. but they have, a, they have an appreciation for, um, I think CrossFit has done so much for the world of fitness. It gets knocked by a lot of people, um, but it has completely changed the way the, uh, a huge chunk of the world's population think about a workout. I would take a different slant on the finishes and materials that I'd use but they're, they're pretty close in terms of the type of, uh, of gym equipment. So when it comes to the space itself, what have you got to play with? One of the big ones is what's happening on the walls, what's happening on the floor, and what kind of lighting have you got, and what's happening with the sound. Mm. So biophilic design, people think of plants. They, might, they think of, uh, yeah, vertical garden walls and, and moss panels and air purifying plants. Yeah, all of, that, all of that's there. That's cool. Um, they come with certain operational aspects as well. And, you know, the one thing I've, I've learned over the last five years doing this is, you know, when you're working for a client, so when I'm, I'm designing a space, that, that, that person, that business is then going to be charged with operating it. So, you know, one might have a list of ideal or a longer list of ideal uh, tactics that we can use to create a biophilic space but ultimately it's the business owner that's going to have to take it and run with it mm -hmm. and if you start putting in plants that demand two to three times a week they need to get their, their leaves cleaned and they need to be pruned you know that's not going to work gyms do not have that type of human resource available so a lot of it is is a combination of of the ideal with the reality of of a particular type of gym um, and uh, the resources they can throw at things. So plants, yes, but I often try to work with low-maintenance plants so they can be air-purifying but not too uh, demanding in terms of 
um, yeah, what they require in terms of maintenance. So light, you mentioned mm-hmm. circadian lighting. I mean, that's a no-brainer uh, for me, uh, turning off these bright blue sort of halogens uh, and using a lighting system that is designed to energize during the day, but also not to disturb your sleep patterns if you're training after dark in winter. What kind of lighting system would that be? Because right now people are going, I, I've never, I can't walk into like Home Depot and buy circadian lighting for my gym. Like, like what kind of examples of that sort of lighting is there? There's, they're really, they're smart systems uh, where they just um, effectively program them to move through a, a spectrum of colors. Mm. Uh, probably, I'm, I'm pretty sure you have them set up in your home so that you have a more of a blue white light in the morning, right? And then you go into amber in the evening yeah, so we don't have like to around with uh, hue maybe something like that that kind of system i'm surrounded by them in my house right now yeah like gotcha. the philips hue so that's an easy win um sound is another one that a lot of gyms don't really think about and so you get a crossfit is a typical one for that where you just have this amazing cacophony of metal being dropped which is all part of the experience right but mm-hmm. um in a biophilic gym i would look to first create a neutral sound Uh, or sonic environment. So I'd want to kind of neutralize anything coming in from outside first using insulation. There's a lot of uh, eco-friendly flooring materials and underlays that you can put down. You could have cork panels on the walls uh, or in certain sections of the walls. They have both um, sound-absorbing qualities and they're eco-friendly and from sustainable sources and then on top of that once you've created something a bit more neutral in terms of the acoustics i would then layer on uh, sounds that connect with the overall concept so going beyond birdsong which has its place for sure uh, but you know it's a gym is a place of primarily high energy and needs to be inspirational so i tend to go more of an acoustic world music playlist and i think sound is often a a forgotten element uh, in a lot of gyms. I think the boutique fitness studios have perhaps been the ones who've who've shown the way in that in that sense. So they put a DJ in there and they just show that the sound can be a big part of the experience. Mm-hmm. So if you need something that connects with a more natural approach, then um, you know a house and techno mix is probably not so appropriate. Yeah. Uh, we need to curate something that that uh, yeah for me you know something a bit more world musicy is is really. Uh, more appropriate and then scent you can layer in scent uh, aromatherapy people seem fascinated with the idea of using uh, forest aromatherapy and phytoncides and there is a lot to that uh, so i typically go for things like pine and cedar and rosemary in the space uh, to energize primarily uh, and to again create that multi-layered sense of being outdoors and materials as well so a lot of it is then what are you bringing in so can you use or can you find low VOC, low or non-toxic paints for the walls? Can we work with sustainable bamboo, eco rubber, FSC wood? You could even think of rice straw tatamis on the floor in certain areas. You know, more more organic than that is pretty hard to come by. So again, you know, not necessarily reinventing the wheel. I'm just I'm just borrowing from a lot of different places and and thinking in great detail about these these different elements that create that experience. And really, once it's set up, I then want it to be as low maintenance as possible. Um, equally, if it is a low-budget gym, then you know there are going to be constraints. If, if all you have, if the only budget available is really to put in uh, some flooring and, and buy the equipment, 
then you know, there's limited scope to do this. I have to be honest. You know, this, yeah. this is probably sort of it's not essential. It's a it's an extra layer. But if you're going for something more sort of yeah. mid to upper market, then there's lots of fun that you can have with this. And it doesn't need to be a huge outlay, but it is an extra layer of consideration for sure. Yeah, no, it's a, it's, it sounds very interesting. Yeah, I like the uh, that you've done all that. Actually, it's kind of funny because you said you mentioned you're into yoga. Um, it just made me think of my wife has developed a Hina yoga, which um, is, mixes kind of Thai and Indian and some Ayurvedic elements. But it sounds like something you'd like. Like, for instance, um, it's all based on the um, Ayurvedic clock, which is kind of the earliest circadian clock. So her evening practice, for instance, she uses um, only uh, light bulbs with no blue or green spectrum. For sounds, all it is is uh, four sounds. So there's no music in the class at all. It's just the sound mm-hmm. of nature. Uh, and then aromatherapy That's, is a big part of it. Yoga yoga studios, they, they just, they, they know that they're working with sound. They haven't, they're not using much touch, but they're using sound and scent and they're really creating an experience. They're curating the class mm-hmm. from the playlist that has a beginning, a middle and an end to the sense that they're using and the flow, how you get warmed up with it. And then you sort of bring people down and gently you know, the Vipassana at the end where it's sort of relaxing and setting them off back into the world. You know, why can't, why couldn't a gym class, if you're in a studio environment, so like a group fitness class, why should there not be that same level of attention put into creating a class that has a beginning, middle, and an end that has sense incorporated to it? You know, there was just, yoga studios went way ahead of gyms in that sense. Then I think the boutique fitness studio kind of revolution that came up were in a way playing off that. Um, but I just saw that there really wasn't so much interaction between the two worlds and yoga had done a lot that, that the gyms were just missing. Yeah, I know. Even the, even the scent, like I was running a gym for a while and uh, even though it, was, it wasn't biophilic, I was thinking, but you know, I did want to have some green walls and stuff. It was just out of the budget. But the one thing I said, well, it's cheap and it's easy for us to get in there is the scent. So I would have a peppermint scent as soon as you walked in the door. Because yeah. I was like, well, a couple of reasons. One, peppermint just smells nice. Two, tons of studies. Like a lot of universities actually will pump peppermint into their strength and conditioning studios because it's actually been shown to increase your physical, uh, like it makes you stronger. So it's actually really interesting. It's been shown to increase uh, fitness performance, the smell of peppermint. So just something like that. You know, like I said, I was telling people, I've never walked into a gym, uh, maybe besides one of yours, but I've never been to one of yours. You know, besides mine, where as soon as you walked in, it's like you got hit with that scent of peppermint. Like I've, and I've run, like I've worked in gyms around the world. Like I've been in the fitness industry for 25 years and nobody thinks if something as simple as scent. So and it's just, it's, it's beyond me why that hasn't happened. But then if you go one step on from that, right? So I would then say, okay, I want to I want to hit you with that scent of whether it's it's lemon and and bergamot or whether it's uh, rosemary and pine. Mm-hmm. You have different scents according to the season, different times of day to energize a bit, like in sync with the light. And there's so much fun you can have with it. And the next level would then be air quality. So can I purify the air in that space? So mm-hmm. if you walk in and you've got a CO2 meter reading at reception saying, yep, look at this is the quality of the of the indoor air that you are breathing today. Assuming that you haven't got a natural ventilation system or huge windows and fans set up, let's say it's a it's an urban setting, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I think I think there's going to be a lot more attention paid to air quality going forward um, because we're all starting to realize the dangers of of what can be transmitted through the air and equally the importance of uh, maintaining 
uh, a high standard of air purity in closed indoor spaces where there's a lot of people sweating mm -hmm. and touching equipment and then moving on to the next piece, touching that equipment, carrying their sweat with them, touching Watching their sweat off their face. Touching the equipment again. Another interesting topic. I just had. I was talking to a friend just today before the podcast. And it's sort of along what you're saying is we were talking about like one of our friends works at a, a store right now that's still open, and she she's wearing a mask all the time. But she's like, I'm not even wearing a mask because I'm worried about COVID. I'm wearing a mask just from the harsh cleaners we're using all the time. So I think mm -hmm. another thing we got to think about is the things we're cleaning with. Like the first thing when I took over this gym is I threw away all the Lysol wipes right away. I walked in, I'm like, you know what? Lysol, studies after studies have shown it destroys your gut biome. You're wiping off your yoga mats with Lysol. So, you know, I would go get hydrogen peroxide, uh, rubbing alcohol, you know, things that basically you could drink. So, you know, mm. we got to think about that sort of stuff too. You know, it's the cleaning is for sure, but making sure that we're, you know, using healthy green cleaners as well, not bleaches, which are terrible for the environment, and Lysol, which kills your gut biome. You know, so we got to make sure we're keeping on that sort of stuff too. It's kind of ironic that, that you should, uh, or that there's that risk spreading virus or disease or, or just yeah, uh, dirt in a place dedicated to getting you health healthy and improving your, your chances of living to 100, right? Mm -hmm. Surely if there's one place that's got to nail it, let it be a wellness facility. Let that not, why should that not be like the healthiest place on the planet indoors? I think what you had said is you you said you know you said a few minutes ago you don't understand why more gyms haven't caught on to it and I I believe I could pretty firmly say why it's lack of education I know a lot of CrossFit coaches you know who are whatever they were just doing you know they were working in whatever business it is they happen to love working out they got their CrossFit certain couple days um, you know you can go to CanFit Pro and get your CanFit Pro certain you know three days pretty much you know minus you know reading the books you compare it to say for instance you gave me a yoga instructor so you know I'll give you an example like my wife she got her um, she's uh, she's Thai massage she's Thai yoga you know she's Buddhist so she's she's known about health and stuff for quite a while but even for her to get her you know her yoga certification she flew to India and she spent a month in India, you know, living with the, the people there, you know, but eating Ayurvedic food. And they explain the importance of, you know, eating healthy food and, you know, uh, being vegetarian, not that we're vegetarian, but, you know, explaining that, the, you know, why it's a good idea to maybe cut down the meat and have more vegetarian food. They part of the course is nasal irrigation where they have you, you know, you just clean your nasal water, you clean your nose with the salt water. They take you up to the top of the mountain to see the sunrise. They take you to the waterfall. So when you get your yoga cert, and I don't know about what it's like to get it in downtown Vancouver, honestly. And from what I've seen, uh, it's not like this. But what I saw in India is you don't just go there and learn asanas all day, right? You go, you learn about the breathing, you learn about the food, you learn about the environment. Like they go through a lot of stuff. And I think that's why a lot of yoga studios have got it because they've learned about it. They tend to know more about holistic health than your average personal trainer. So I think I think a big part of it is just lack of education amongst the, you know, the gym owners. Like I had arguments and fights when I wanted to get rid of the Lysol. Like I went in there and said, no, these Lysol wipes have to go. And it's like, oh, you know, I'm like, I, I can send you guys 50 studies on it right now. Like, I don't want to sit here and argue with you. This stuff that you're talking about has to get out there. I think it's you're right there's that there's that holistic health component to yoga so while it's there is that a movement practice it is also or, or when it's done properly i think has a much wider perspective you know it covers a lot of different elements and i think represents 
pretty solidly a, a clear, tangible value system of that is inspired by Buddhist principles. It's been, I think, watered down in many in many instances, unfortunately. But when you get a good teacher and you get close to the roots and you do a bit of background reading on it, you know, there's it's it's there's that Buddhist philosophy lying behind it, which is you know spreading loving kindness and doing no harm to others, and that connection with with the that mind body connection i think that also then extends beyond mind body to how we interact with the world around us and um that is an important piece because yeah then it is the yoga studios that that think most about uh their impact on the world and cleanliness and and a, a wider perspective on health for sure yeah, no, and that's exactly why I sent her to India. I said, yeah, if you're going to go do it, I want you to do the real stuff and learn. I mean, it was great. The guy came in to talk about um, the physiology of yoga, for instance. Now, I've seen the courses here in the West. It's very much literally Western physiology, you know, um, where he was very good because he combined the Western physiology, but he also talked about send lines and stuff like that. He talked about the chakras, you know, mm. and I'm like, over here, you'll get the, the the physiologists come over and they're like, oh, there's no such thing as Zen lines and there's no chakras and all. And maybe, maybe, you know, maybe there's, maybe there isn't. But, you know, these guys, they don't come in there and they don't say, hey, you know, it's all about the chakras of the Zen lines and there's nothing behind, you know, this Western physiology. They don't, they don't come and slam one modality. They just, they just gave you both. Where over here, it just seems to be, you know, that, that when I see it over here, um, it's just they, they don't really look at it from a holistic point of view. And just today I was talking about uh, even something as simple as for the last about two weeks now, my allergies have been really bothering me and my asthma just because it's really bad right now with the allergy season. And every day for the last almost 10 days in a row, I've been waking up at 319, between 319 and 330 on the dot for Ooh. 10 days. And it's been driving me nuts. But yeah. it's really interesting because when you look at traditional Chinese medicine, they have a circadian clock too. So Ayurvedic has their clock. Um, then there's the circadian clock. But the Chinese has what they call the 24-hour body clock. And from 3 a.m. to 5 a.m., uh, they basically says this. You look it up. It says, if you are experiencing waking up between 3 a.m. and 5 a.m. on a consistent basis, it, it means you have a dysregulation of the lungs. There you go. And I wake up every morning with coughing and asthma between three and five in the morning. Mm. And I'm like, you know, you'll talk to some Western doctors over here. who will say, oh, that stuff's just a bunch of mumbo jumbo. But you know what? They seem to realize a long time ago. And they, that you look in the math between three and five a.m., your respiratory um, system changes because you're moving from that deep sleep into the more waking. Your cortisol starts to go up around that 4 a.m. mark, you know, start preparing you to wake up. Guys combine this stuff so long ago. Definitely a holistic, I think the holistic is, the holistic entire education is what's missing. Yeah, you don't want to miss that. Um, I find if I, if I have something that disrupts my, my sleep to that level, so if, I, um, if I'm up after, say, you know, three 90-minute rounds, then I've got a problem the next day. I, I'm wasted the next day. Uh, I need that fourth round. I need to go four cycles. Otherwise, if I don't get that fourth one, I, I'm, I'm not functioning as I could be. Yeah, no, the same. Now, you moved from, let's talk about you uh, You went out of gym. So you originally B2C, right? Business to customer. But now you're business to business. So after you moved, you kind of, I don't say you all moved away from the gyms because I'm still, you'll still do them. But where did the company grow to? Like after you started mm. developing gyms, did you guys, are you, did you stay in that space? Or it looks like you've grown. When I look back, I, I was very much a man on a mission. And I, and I saw Biofit as this 
um, you know, CrossFit killer. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, I'm going to change the I'm going to change the world with this. I'm going to create a quiet revolution of green gyms, and uh, we're going to take over. And of course, that that's not the way it panned out. Uh, but it panned out all right, uh, but just in a very different way to what I imagined. And that was really one of the key lessons of being an entrepreneur, which is, you know, you set off with a roadmap and you, you, you create your strategy, uh, but ultimately you have to listen to the market and adapt and pivot, pivot, pivot to, to stay one step ahead as far as you can. So for me, the main pivot was, um, oh, Matt's setting up a biofit gym. Matt does a pop-up in London for a month in the UK after two years of research and scrabbling around, working with movement coaches in London and researching biophilic design and working with the landscape architects and designers. And eventually I was like, okay, I just got to do something. I have to, I have to somehow, I was trying to raise money to set up my own gym. And uh, I didn't really have the experience to do that, to be honest. Uh, I wasn't an operator and therefore wasn't able to raise half a million in, in cash, unsurprisingly. So what I did was throw the last bit of my um, startup capital that I'd set aside. I, I threw that at a, a one month pop-up. So I created a gym space Basically, yeah, built it, designed it, and took it all down after four weeks. We operated it, did lots of promotion, got loads of people coming through, got loads of press. And I basically used that as a springboard and said, okay, this is, this is the last chance because I've done two years and I've spent all the money that I can spend on it. And off the back of that, I got the first client, Dr. Kale, from the Natural Way Chiropractic Studio in Calgary who rang me up and I got him on a Skype call and was showing him the space that I designed and he was like, wow, this is cool. I've got this, I've got this uh, studio here in this new health center I'm building in Calgary. Why don't you come and design one of those for me? And that was really where the whole thing turned, where it was less about me, Biofit, and more about my being able to help others to uh, yeah, achieve their goals and their dreams of, of having greener, healthier fitness spaces. And that was, that was a major turning point. And, and I've realized that actually in doing it that way around, you can help a lot more people. Uh, rather yeah. than you know, realistically, what am I going to do? Like open two, three gyms uh, and then be a gym manager. And that, that's, not, that's not what I was after. I've tried that and I would never want to go be a gym manager. <laughs> no, I like your way much better. I think definitely the consulting route is the way to go. Do you have certification courses or like do you have, like I know you have a certification. Can you just explain all your education aspects? So back in 2017, when I, when I launched in London, I, I had... I started making some prototype equipment. I had put together this uh, natural fitness methodology that was based on um, mobility, movement, strength, and stamina. And I really sort of crystallized that during that one month pop-up and I had the design concept. And again, I thought, okay, well, I'm not sure if all three of these are gonna fly, but hopefully one, possibly two of them does fly and the design side flew and I really focused on that and it then went on to become a different piece which was helping in fact office spaces to green and uh, improve the health qualities and the wellness aspects of, of corporate environments or office environments based on what I was doing in the gym so again another pivot a separate business that was more uh, interiors oriented commercial interior spaces but applying the same principles uh, without it being a gym, uh, it's more fitting in around another use. So I then got uh, very heavily into that, and that was the second business by Athilico, and that's probably a bigger business now. I'm currently working on just about to start a, a hotel, 
a wellness hotel project in Italy. We've got two or three hotels in the pipeline. So there I would be said, advising the owners of, the, of this new hotel brand on the wellness aspect and the gym, but also how the, the fitness piece can be integrated into the, the guest experience. So BioFit's still going on. Uh, it's, it's quite a niche product in that it's really very focused on, on that, that market of people who just inherently believe that doing things in a more natural way is, is better for them and for their business. So it's not a huge business, but it, it, it moves along and I'm, I really enjoy doing that piece. Then there's the Biophilica, which is more of a commercial um, interiors business. Again, same principles, but applied in a different way. So I've, I then just now I'm looping background over the last six months. I was like, you know, I spent all that time creating this fitness method and it was really my, my baby for so long. And I had all the, all the movements and I, I photographed everything and I hadn't really done anything with it. And a bit like you, I know you, you just suddenly it's like, well, this needs to be online. I had it in a PDF. And you know, I had like half a dozen coaches in London who'd, who'd been through it with me and good friends and they'd been involved in this whole process. And I was like, you know, I can't, I was getting someone ask for something in, I don't know, in America. I go, well, I've got six coaches in London. Or, or, that's no use to me. I need to be able to communicate this in another way. So finally, after a couple of years, I'm, I've gone back around. I kind of like rekindled that whole uh, piece of work that I'd done before, brushed off the cobwebs spruced it up and refined it a bit and and yeah recorded it in a studio space here in barcelona uh late last year and so we now have a course up online that is primarily oriented towards um i'd say professionals so, you know, fitness trainers or coaches or people who are pretty seriously into it who want to just understand the movements so i combine body weight movements with functional fitness and then these kind of dynamic natural movements inspired by real world activities uh, and that then becomes a sort of a methodology rather than uh, workouts, to be clear. You know, yes. so I'm not, I'm not giving you a 20-minute workout. It's, okay, here's, here's this methodology. Here's a number of movements divided into different categories. Here's how you can create patterns and flows of like, say, two or three movements by putting them together. So movement and mobility, strength and stamina. And here's how you can put a bunch of them together into a class. So giving people the individual building blocks and then explaining how you can piece them together to create more complex movement patterns that challenge the brain as well. And then also how you can piece them together into a different format for, say, a 20, 30, 40 minute group session or a one on one training session. So that's what the course is all about now. OK, guys. Now, have you thought about um, and maybe you do it already because you had said you had about what six instructors in the UK? You said? Uh, it's about 12 now, 12. about a dozen. Have yeah, we've had some guys in, in Sweden and Switzerland, so it's starting to go a bit more international. Have you thought, and maybe and maybe this is what you mean by it, I'm not sure, but have you thought about having uh, like master coaches, people who would run your courses in their individual cities or countries? For instance, you know, you go to the Philippines or, you know, somebody, they want to become a guy who says, hey, you know, I'd love to teach the BioFit method in Manila for instance, you know, and they could become a master coach for you, like a certification to go through that. It is, it's not what I'm talking about in that the, the course would be more for, say, a, a um, yeah, standard level trainer rather than a master trainer. But you're absolutely right. That is the way to do it. Uh, I, I guess in, ma in many ways I've been pulled across into the design piece because that's, it's, it's high value and there's, it's really where my, uh, my skill set is. 
but I'm conscious that, you know, it's so difficult when you're running these things by yourself. No. You sort of have people who, who pass through and, and kind of want to get involved, but, but um, knowing who you can really partner up with and trust. But you're absolutely right. That is the way to do it. And that's a, that's a more strategic approach to how to grow the uh, training and the fitness side for sure. That's probably my uh, top of the top of the to-do list for 2020. Yeah. Cause the way we do it, right. Is, um, like, I'll just mm. give you mine really quick. So what we do yeah. is we would look for somebody, for instance, the guy who taught our courses, right. He was already a certified physiotherapist. So then what he did is he, he was a physiotherapist, went to university for that. So he already had the, you know, an educational background in this. Then he takes, you know, uh, we told him, okay, you have to take this course, this course, and he takes those courses. So let's say it's your, your biofit course. Uh, and then after that, they would do X amount of, you know, whatever else it is that they have to learn, you know, and they show you how they can do it. But it's pretty much the system we follow. We have you, we look for people that have A, the education. Um, you know, you just can't say, hey, I, I want, I'm not even a trainer or a McDonald's and I want to be a biofit master teacher next week. It's like, no, it's not going to happen. Then, you know, then you say, okay, then you got to follow, you know, B, C, D. And once you get it all done, you become a master trainer. So that's, that's just the way we do it, you know? So there's just certain steps they have to go through. But it seems to work out well, you know, we've been working on getting our own self master trainers for different courses yeah that makes complete sense yeah um you know i, th I think like you when, when you've got a few different things or, or, or a business that has a few different component parts right and you, you just, it's like trying to keep all of them moving at the same speed mm. and the reality is that stuff you know whatever the world changes or a client needs xyz and so you have to really focus on one thing and then something else gets a little bit left behind and then you kind of loop back around oh okay i need to pick this one up again and keep get that moving and I find it quite cyclical in, in that sense, running a business like Biofit. But, you know, it's just something that I, I it, it's not, I'm not here to, it's not really about making a quick buck. It's, mm. it's, it's just something I, I love and I feel passionate about. And it's kind of my, my mission in life is to try and spread this message, you know, and get more people mm. working out in healthy spaces or ideally uh, working out outdoors. And that's, that's something we haven't touched on, right? But yeah. the idea of green exercise itself now, how would you, um, you know, design an outdoor gym? I saw you did one, and I I saw that you would put down, you know, oh, it was kind of difficult. There were some things we didn't because yeah. it's a rainy place. So I'll give you Vancouver, right? One of the rainiest yeah. cities in the world. How would you do it? Give us just some breakdowns really quick. You don't have to get into, like, details. Well, look, I mean, outdoor gyms, they come with, they come with uh, major constraints, right? So, yes, I did the one there in Montenegro. That was effectively a beach gym or rather – a converted uh, piece of car park that we then created the perimeter fence around and imported a huge amount of sand, uh, laid the sand on top and, and basically created a, uh, a faux beach gym. You're dealing with the elements. Anything that's out there has to survive the elements. And that can be rain one day. It can be rain in the morning and, and burning hot heat three, four hours later at certain times of year. So anything you put out there just has to be indestructible. And I was working on the project in South Africa in the middle of a, a game reserve, so in a conservation area for a safari lodge brand. We were trying to uh, do an outdoor gym there, and you know I was proposing a small running track. And uh, the main issue there was that there were leopards, and we couldn't guarantee, couldn't guarantee the safety of the, of the guests. Like, uh, that's a viable concern. Faster. Yeah, I said, well, okay. <laughs> Let's not do that. You sure you can't put an electric fence for me? Like, yeah, it's not, it might not work. Not 100% viable. So, you know, that's part of the outdoor gyms are a real challenge. Um, you've got to really know what you're doing, both in terms of the materials that you use that, that as I say, just have to be like ballistic. Uh, but at the same time, what's the operational component? Because if, if, if you start 
recommending certain things. Uh, for example, you want to start using, okay, kettlebells. You think kettlebells for the one, for the outdoor gym in Montenegro there, I had them coated. I bought a standard set of competition kettlebells and I then had them spray painted in uh, a, a incredibly tough boat paint. So if you imagine the type of paint that sits on the hull of a boat, that's just sitting in water all year round, just eroding it the whole time. Mm -hmm. It's indestructible. So we created these ballistic kettlebells that survived really well, but I also had some wood, wooden pieces that I'd had made from a carpenter that got destroyed after one or two seasons because they just couldn't handle the changes in temperature and the moisture and people don't treat the equipment so well or they don't put the equipment back where it should be. There might be some shelter in the corner for the kettlebells or for wooden equipment, but then not every, everybody puts the equipment back. And if you haven't got an operational component to that gym, it's more just, okay, here's the key, you go and work out and bring me the key back. Then you can't guarantee that, that you're going to keep things ordered. You then have health and safety risks because you've got equipment strewn all over the place. People don't put them back where it came from. It's, it was a bit of a headache. And you realize why most outdoor gyms uh, are either operated as an outdoor gym. And you mentioned the jungle gym in Thailand. There's a guy doing really interesting things in Tulum, also yeah. called the jungle gym, yeah. I think. And yeah, in Mexico there, yeah. Yeah, but there's also people now, there's the guys, Woodsman's Fitness, they're in Egypt and Dubai, and they carve all of their weights out of wood as well. Uh, but it's designed by uh, locals. It's operated as an outdoor gym specifically for that purpose, and, and therefore they're, they're geared to look after their equipment. That was the biggest challenge is if you put something outside in a, in a rainy location where it can get cold as well, it has to be made of basically metal and there's going to most likely be a very limited operational component to it, in which case I can't control the environment. I can't control the space itself. All I can do is control what equipment you're putting in. And at that point, you really can't reinvent the wheel. You end up with the same kind of monkey bars and, and dip bars and what have you. And then it becomes a bit less, you know, you're not able to make your mark. So I think it really, outdoor gyms, it, the, the answer is to have an indoor component. You can have an outdoor and indoor. So you need to offer facilities. You've got to have a bathroom, a restroom. Yep. Uh, you've got to have some showers, somewhere to leave a bag. And if it's just a space where you go, you do your pull-ups, your dips, you do your sprints, whatever, but you haven't got somewhere to put your laptop bag down safely or in your, or your gym kit, then, you know, that, that, that creates problems for people pretty quickly. So I think any indoor outdoor space would need to have a component where you've got a, some lockers and a shower facility. Yeah. And the one I, I talked, and the one I talked about in Thailand is actually, I, if you've been to Thailand before, um, but it's not really an, I guess like you're not later exercising in the sun because it's so hot. Um, what it mm -hmm. is, it's, you have a roof, like it's a typical tin roof. It looks like a Muay Thai gym. Your typical tin roof yep. held up by gigantic beams about 20 feet high, no walls. So there's only one wall out of four, I think. Um, then there's an office and showers room like that. And there's a walkway and go up, but you're always under a roof, like you said, except, you know, obviously there's only, you know, only one wall out of four. So that's kind of what I guess I would call an outdoor gym, even though it's, it's technically under a roof, but that's the kind yeah. that would work. Cause again, you know, they get the rainy season, it'll be pouring rain and, you know, Again, his equipment is your very typical squat racks and, you know, monkey bars, like you said. And yet the outdoor gyms, actually, there are a lot of outdoor gyms in Asia, usually set up for seniors. I'm sure you've seen those styles mm -hmm. where it's just the uh, typical, like you said, dip bars. Maybe there's something you stand on. It's kind of like an, an, a senior's teeter-totter. You got to press with arms. But like you said, it usually yeah. just ends up being kind of like a painted metal um, little things, like a wheel you turn, stuff like that.
that you can't then carry off with you, right? So they no, have to be locked to the ground. Exactly. Yeah, the, the only uh, other so, place that I've seen an outdoor kind of like that is um, that has kind of free weights is um, in Bangkok in Lumpini Park. They actually have hmm. a gym there. It only costs you about a dollar to go in. Um, but again, really rough. Like it's really hard to get actual pretty good work out there. It's very rusted. Um, you know, a lot of the stuff is like the, the barbells have kind of like chains on them. so You can't steal them. But again, uh, you know, it's kind of what you expect in the middle of uh, in Bangkok and all that humidity, right? So it's, it's really very much linked to the location itself. And also, is there a business model or is it a communal facility that is basically sort of being sponsored? In which case, it opens it up a bit more. But it is a challenge when you say, okay, it's going to be an outdoor gym that needs to make money. Yeah. And that, that I would say, I would only recommend that in certain locations. And Seattle probably isn't one of them. No, Seattle, Vancouver, I would say is definitely not one of them. Yeah. Cool. Well, where then can people, uh, we'll wrap it up because I've been taking a lot of your time here. And thanks again. We've been going on for over an hour. It's been awesome. Where can people, can you give us all the websites and all the different ways people can get a hold of you? Do you have Instagram, Facebook, you know, what's your websites? I know you probably have at least a couple we've talked about. Yeah, we've got a couple. I've got biofit.io, uh, which is the gym and fitness side. And then I've got biofilico, B-I-O-F-I-L-I-C-O.com. And yeah, I'm on Instagram, uh, go buy a fit and buy a Filico uh, on the other side. Well, great. Well, thank you for joining us. And just remember, guys, if any of you are out there, are like maybe some uh, major fitness pros and uh, you're thinking, hey, sounds like something I could get interested in. You never know. Give Matt maybe an email that you want to be a master trainer. He may look for you in the future. So <laughs> hit me up, Matt, M-A-T-T at biofit.io. Always good to hear from people uh, who share the love. Perfect. Well, thanks for joining us today, Matt. It was great talking to you. Much respect. Keep doing what you're doing. Thank you. This has been the Health by Design podcast with Canada's leading healthy living expert and wellness architect, Roar Alexander. If you enjoyed this episode, please be sure to subscribe to Health by Design through your favorite podcast provider. And then don't forget to join me at www.roaralexander.com to stay up to date with my latest blogs, speaking events, and exclusive interviews with guests from all around the world. While you're there, be sure to check out my coaching options to help you on your own personal health journey, set up your free call, and together, let's see how I can help you starting today. And until next time, remember... I'm here to help you live stronger, longer, and as always, better.